You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 412. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with Joss Whedon's HBO Max creation, The Nevers. And we were talking a little bit ago. I saw my first cicada today, and you've got dead bodies all over the place. Well, dead cicada bodies, yes. Dave. Relax. <laughs> You're going to bring the, the, the heat down on me, man. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I was driving my daughters to, uh, to field hockey this weekend to, uh, you know, George Mason University was about an hour and 20 minutes away from us. And they are just, just, uh, just loads of cicadas just splatting on my windshield all over the place, stuck in my grate. It's all, it's all over the place. Well, hopefully, uh, the one I saw today while I was cutting the lawn will be it for me but uh you know we'll, we'll leave cicadas in the rearview mirror because we have a ton to talk about uh, yes we do i want to thank all our patrons and if you're interested in becoming a patreon supporter you can go to the website sci-fi tv rewatch.podbean.com and there is a link over to the right uh, if you want to touch base with us the email is sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com but let's get into uh, well, I just want to mention, you, you forgot to mention, if you're at the $20 level, that Dave will come to your house and cut your lawn for you, including trimming with a, the, an edger as well. Yeah, there you go. I, you know what? I haven't broken that one out yet. I, I, I bought it. I use it. And it's like, eh. Anyway, but uh, anyway. <laughs> anyway, I was ready to jump into the the Nevers. And, and, oh, okay. And well, I, and yeah, I we did, can do that too. I, I did well, want to just mention a tip of the week and a, what I'm watching, but very briefly, Motherland Fort Salem is going to return for its second season on Freeform, June 22nd. It's a show that I really enjoyed a lot. It's a, another take on the witch story. And, you know, if you're into that, check that out. But we just finished up a show on stars called The Dublin Murders. And really pretty good. Eight episodes if you have stars and you're into crime dramas. It certainly did not turn out the way that I thought it was. Uh, you know, bittersweet ending. And, you know, if you're into that kind so, of thing, it's worth it. So, Dave, let me get this straight. You do, you subscribe to Stars, but not to Amazon Prime. Well, you know, every time, like, my wife will be sitting on the couch looking at her laptop, and she's reading, you know, articles about what shows are coming this month on what network. And she'll say, do we have this? I'm like, well, we don't, but I mean, we can certainly afford to get it. Nah, that's okay. So I, I've said several times, you know, we can get Hulu or Amazon prime if you want. And what the heck you can cancel after a month if you don't, you know, want to keep it. Sure. But I guess I'm, I'm waiting for her to say, no, okay, let's get it. So anyway, I know what you're saying. She's gonna be hooked. Once you get that that free two day delivery, man, you can't go I back. I know, I know. But uh, <laughs> anyway, what, what are you watching? Well, speaking of uh, signing up for things for the brief trial period, um, so you know, Britannia. I told you I, I was watching season one last week, and that is available on Amazon Prime. Season two, on the other hand, is not, and I can't remember. Which one? Maybe it's no. It's uh, Epic. Epic. Is that, that is a network. Yeah. Okay, so it's available on that. So here, you know, that's the that's the trick, right? Like season one's for free. Season two, you got to pay for. You know, these guys have got their business plan from 
uh, the street corners of Baltimore. So, um, so I, but you know, you get the seven day free trial. Uh, I did, uh, watched in like three and you know, it was, it was good. Uh, it was good. I, I might actually get for a whole month when season three comes out, I might actually pay for that month, uh, to, to see season three of pretend. So it was, it was good. Good. A lot, a lot, I, I talked about it last week. Um, I kind of want to move on to talk about, uh, a new one this week. I, I've watched like, the first three episodes of, of Sweet Tooth. Have you heard about that? I one? have. Um, you know, I looked at the trailer. I'm not sure. So so convince me. Well, I, I don't think I get it at the time. <laughs> but again, I'm only like three episodes in. So I, I, I refuse to judge uh, a, a Netflix show. Uh, even you know, It's so funny. We used to say how you know, when we started this, how you have to nail the pilot, right? You got your pilot and that's, but, but now when you release 10 episodes at once, you don't have to nail it, the pilot. You, you can do a really slow burn and, and, and have like the, really the, um, you know, the, the meat of your, 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 I'm sorry, your series happen, you know, towards the middle and stuff. Um, still can't bore people too much, but right now, eh, I give it a meh. It's it's okay, but you know, I I guess the the graphic novel, the comic book, is super super popular. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna poo poo it altogether yet. You know, um, it has its moments for sure, but there's also times I'm like, eh. Okay. Well, so, one of the listeners had mentioned that in an email, would we consider covering that? And, and at that point, I'd only seen the trailer, but I'm thinking the whole time. All right, Wayne was a tough sell with Muppets in Farscape. I'm not <laughs> sure what he's going to think about humans with antlers, but again, I'm sure it goes a lot deeper than than that. So uh, yeah, well, actually, that's one part of it is pulling off that. I mean, you get your main character is a kid with antlers growing out of his head, and and that's that's a, a tough. I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm, I guess they probably use a prop and. He probably has some kind of headpiece on with a wig and, and everything. But, I mean, as as far as what a human would look like with antlers, it looks pretty good. And I'm not doubting it. I don't look at it and say, ah, that's totally fake or anything. So, But uh, but like I said, right now the story is just not necessarily gripping me 100% just yet. So, All right. Well, let's get to the nevers, which is definitely grabbing us over 100% if that's even possible. Episode 5 of season it's 1 <laughs> uh, titled Hanged, <laughs> written by Melissa Iqbal who wrote one episode of Origin, one episode of Humans. She's very young. I was looking at her IMDb and uh, her bio page. So she's very young, a very talented science fiction writer. So uh, you know, I thought this was a great episode directed by Joss Whedon, aired May 9th, 2021. So I think we'll we'll continue what we've been doing, which is just start jumping around. But but the first thing sure. that I guess we have to deal with as a viewer is this fairly big time jump. And, and again, fairly big is a relative term. It's clearly more than five weeks because that's how long Malady's trial has lasted. But it does leave us to draw a lot of conclusions on our own. And on the one hand, it's initially frustrating. On the other hand, I, I love this stuff. Yeah, such as? Well, I mean, having to draw these conclusions, fill, fill oh, in the oh, gaps yeah, and yeah, things yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, like, you're right. Well, that's, that's, that's good, you know, like, like effective 
um, narrative in, in any sense is is not going to lay the whole story out for you. Uh, it's going you got to leave gaps for the audience to to fill in their own thoughts, and that's what makes something more powerful and more you know believable for an audience. Yeah, and, and this episode is just really chock full of those kind of moments. Oh yeah, uh, one, one that hits us pretty early on is the fact that Penance is preoccupied clearly something's troubling her and and we see the whole dynamic of the orphanage has changed i don't want to say completely or totally but she and amalia have hit a bit of a crossroads and and amalia ever the pragmatist and penance is the dreamer and together they make that perfect combination that is really going to be required if they are going to shepherd their crew into whatever's going to be next. But I I love the fact that to this point, everything has really been very smooth sailing for the two of them and their relationship with each other. And I love how they deal with the fact that now they're butting heads, but they're still friends. They still have that respect. Sure. Yeah, well, and of course, we, we always saw, like, the back and forth to him is great, and it works really well here, and the fact that Penance is, you know, kind of standing up for herself and saying, you know, you treat me like I'm, you know, weak, and I'm not. You know, Penance is the, the very religious person, let's face it, so the, 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 the house of sin that has become the orphanage now, uh, there's just sex happening all over the place in there and and of course that she i mean she mentions later she doesn't i can't remember the exact line but she definitely comments that how it's changed right and and how she feels different i think part of it is the fact that everyone's boning well you know I, i mean certainly dr cousins and amalia are but i was a little confused the first time i watched about desiree because the, my first reaction, you know, when we, we see that guy leaving her room. It was nimble. Yeah, well, and that's what I didn't catch that the first time. I didn't either. And I thought, okay, she now turning tricks in the house. That's what but, I thought at first, too, yeah. Right, but it, it appears that she was vetting him. Yes. And once, I guess, he, he passed the test, she gives, I don't remember if it's Amalia or Penance, she gives the head nod that, yeah, he's okay. So... Uh, but still, it was, it was Amalia because or uh, penance because Amalia was right with cousins. otherwise <laughs> detained at the moment. Yes, and you know, I think she's making up for you know any action that the rest of them are not getting. But uh, right, the the thing that also strikes me about the conversation the two of them have is that one of the things that is troubling penance is that recognition that so many modern scientists, and I suppose scientists throughout the the ages have had to deal with when their inventions, their creations are used for something that they hadn't intended or thought of. And and of course she, you know, sees, you know, the possibility that her her inventions will be used as weapons of war. And, and, And I guess you might say, well, how could she not have anticipated that? And I think with her, it's understandable. We can understand how she didn't anticipate that. Somebody like Dr. Oppenheimer and his Los Alamos crew, I'm not sure how they could not have anticipated what their uh, 
experiments were going to lead to. But right, despite his his words as he watched, you know, the the first explosion, he knew what they were doing. Um, and Penance is absolutely right. Like, I mean, that is something all, all scientists, especially, I mean, like scientists need funding, right? They need someone to write the checks and and, and everything, and that means their you know, research does not always accomplish or go to the ends that they hadn't necessarily anticipated. And there's plenty of stories throughout history of this happening. Um, you know, I mean, dynamite being probably the more popular one and everything, but you know, still it's, you know, she, she is a, a woman of conscience, right? She is someone who she's not a just, you know, science, and we've talked about the the problem of science for the sake of science and, and or progress for the, the sake of progress, I should say, actually. If we don't take the time, as, as Pence is doing, to think about what the potential consequences could be, then that's when we have bad consequences. Um, so, you know, it's just another part of, of why she is rocketing to the top is my favorite character in this show. Well, you know, and the other thing that's troubling her is the fact that they are about to execute Malady. And, of course, when she proposes the plan to Amalia to rescue Malady from the execution, while at the same time the plan to drill down to the Galanthi is still in play, you know, once she explains everything and whether Amalia wants to admit it or not, the understanding that malady could be any of them at this point, that we get the sense that the, the government, uh, Masson, whoever, could at any point arrange things to make it seem plausible that an execution is in order for one of the touched. So yeah, I think that's a tough call for her to try to kind of deal with in her mind she she feels it's the right thing to do maybe the galanthi can heal her and amalia's response is, is some things are beyond repair yeah. i mean that's not exactly what she says right. but that, but that's certainly what she means but then i love when amalia says to her the galanthi will know your heart to try to put her at ease with what it is she's doing and that you know even if your stuff is used for war they know that's not what you intended. So, mm -hmm. you know, I really love that. Yeah. Well, and what we see with, with Pence, as I said, a, a woman of conviction and of conscience, the, the only other character who expresses like the, un, well, I guess two other characters. Uh, we get Frank Mundy, who is clearly opposed to the this whole idea of Amalia's, not Amalia, sorry, Malady's execution. I don't know so much the the execution part as the public execution part, for sure. Um, you know, he is uh, he does believe in justice, and that's what he said when they, you know, picked up Malady. He was like, "She deserves justice from us." He clearly doesn't see a public execution as justice. He sees it for what it is for for what Masson openly declares it is, and it's just a you know a, an attempt to to cow. The, the touch and to, to bring them in, in line. The other person is Lavinia uh, expresses discomfort or opposition to the idea of the public execution 
as well, which is for her, we're just now, you know, before we obviously at first we thought she was a good person, then we think she's a bad person. And now I'm like, not sure. I mean, obviously any good character is going to be something in between, but for her, how she yells at those people in the, the restaurant because he thinks, you know, they're What's the word? Well, they're, well, they're looking at it more as entertainment. Yes, right. They're thinking of it as, anything as else. Like entertainment rather than uh, a person losing their life. So, so yeah. So we see in different characters a reaction to this. We really get some some depth into these characters. I, I, know, I like that. Well, yeah, and, and you know that restaurant scene when Augie and Lavinia are, are talking about her ice skating as a younger woman leads me to wonder whether or not there was an accident that led to her using a wheelchair and we've talked about her playing both sides and and, you know i think it's a perfect you know match with frank because they both seem to be conflicted with with everything they see that's going on around him and you know maureen's going to mention in some of her feedback some themes that pop up in this episode certainly the ones that i didn't really consider but but they're clearly there but the themes of guilt and forgiveness are all over this episode we, you know we talked about penance and her inventions and, and the guilt she feels there amalia and her affair with the married horatio she understands that and it's on the one hand she can't help herself and the and I well, forget I mean, exactly what he I feel says. Like she could help herself, but she has zero remorse or guilt for for it, you know? right? And you know, she says something, and I forget exactly. I probably got it in my notes somewhere, and and the reaction from him is not exactly what she had hoped for. But Penance thinks both Malady and Lucy should be forgiven, and. Malady is a tough sell, for sure, in terms of forgiveness. Lucy, on the other hand, less so. I mean, still what, a tough sell, but yeah, t- still less a so. tough sell. But 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 still, you, we talked about it at the time. She was duped by Masson and his talk of a cure. And again, we could say, well, she should be smart enough to know that he's just yanking her chain, but. But whatever, still, those ideas about the guilt that these characters are, are forced to cope with and, and expected to do in terms of things like forgiveness, you know, really makes the episode and the character so much richer. The touch now have to register and are legally compelled to wear blue ribbons under the Blue Badge Act because they are a quote threat to the natural order and and, and of course that's a callback to the the blue ribbons that they were forced to wear at Lavinia's little uh, afternoon tea and again it takes us back to that that brief scene between uh Penance and Augie when they're talking about the blue ribbons and, and you know she says something like well do you think anybody should be wearing them and and he of course agrees that that they shouldn't but it it just kind of shows that things are really getting out of hand and as students of history in 2021 we certainly should be considering what took place in europe during the second world war with the jewish population and 
you know, things that they were forced to wear and to do. So, so Right. I mean, the first step of, of genocide is identification, right? You have to yep. come up with a system where you identify the targeted group. And that is exactly what's going on here. So, you know, that's what any time, you know, that where a government wants to add some kind of extra identification to you, that, that should always be a concern. It, it's every genocide that's ever happened that's been the first step you know so um yeah so that that is a a very chilling uh scene and um you know effie boyle aka obviously malady um is there witnessing it and who you know obviously we can pretty well guess what she must be thinking about that well you know you mentioned her and this is the i think the perfect time to talk about effie aka malady because of all the plot points in this episode, I think this is the the single most important one that bears examining on a second and even third rewatch yeah. because we don't really realize it until we get to the end and then we're like, oh, what the hell? And then yeah. when you go back and rewatch the episode, one of the first things I noticed, and I'm sure you did as well, is that she's doing nothing to mask her voice. Right, yes, 100%. This is clearly Malady's voice. Yeah. Now, I, I, I guess I mean, to be- Maureen says, how did I miss that, right? Like, I just remember thinking, how did I miss that? She isn't disguising her voice at all. It is totally her voice. But that's that's the brilliance of the disguise, the physical disguise. It's so good. It even works on us at home. Sure. And the fact that she has now taken on this persona, both personally and professionally as Effie Boyle, and gets to make her case to the public, uh, twisted as it is. But it, it makes me wonder, how is Malady able to turn it on and off so easily? Or it would certainly seem easily. Yeah, so is she not as crazy as maybe we thought? Or yeah, because you're right. Like Effie Boyle, she shows no, doesn't say anything weird or or anything like that. Whereas Malady, all she says is weird stuff. Right. Well, you know? she's got freaking Frank Mundy essentially inviting her into his office. I mean, what police? lieutenant or commissioner or whatever his title is wants the press hanging around in his office during the biggest story of his career he knows what she's after and you know he says that yet he seems comfortable with having her there and and you know says hey if you you know find out the name of that dead girl i'll get you that interview really no no. <laughs> which was again a, a great little exchange yeah. but but yeah so what is the deal with malady and what are we going to see moving forward with her i mean we see at the end of the episode she takes off her disguise and finally it's the wig and she has that kind of semi-crazed look as she's in the street so what's next for malady that's yeah you know well it just proves if you make your boobs a little bigger you can fool every guy in the entire world she probably didn't even need to put on a on a wig or anything well that is true too um now we get a little bit more insight into the galanthi not a lot but 
we're, we're trying to make the connection between who the Galanthi are and, and that whole idea of the Galanthi singular versus plural as a race of some sort. So we're not still exactly sure, but I don't, I don't well, know. Well, before you, you actually, before you start, cause I just, <clears throat> I actually went back because the first time I actually, the first time I watched, it, I don't even know if I, the word Galanthi clicked. And of course they mention it a lot. So I'm like, when did they, when did they bring up the Galanthi in the previous episode? I went back and watched the previous and like, they, they didn't. didn't. No. This is the first time they use the word and they just use it willy-nilly like, like we, we know what the know heck it. they're talking about. Right, exactly. You know, that is, again, is that, I, at this point, I can't tell. Is that just, is it bad writing or are there, they got something going on that, uh, you know, it'll make sense later? Yeah, but... Um, but yeah, like that 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 was the thing that I I was really confused of what they meant and if, I, I assume it's the big blue thing, right? I mean, that's what they're trying to get at. Sure. And I and, think. and I guess as a narrative device that that 5 week time jump or or longer which I mentioned at the beginning of the discussion, I, I guess that's just they're figuring, well, come on, you guys were around in that time jump. You know who the Galanthi are. Uh, no, we right. don't. So I I love piecing that together. And clearly there's a connection with Amalia. We just don't know what it is. But we do know that the Galanthi needs them to come for it. Now, the other thing that I wonder, who actually knows about this big blue orb? Is this just our inner circle of Amalia Penance and the Touched and, and Lavinia and... Uh, Lord Masson, or, or does, does the does general Lord Masson know about it? I'm pretty sure he does. I, I, I think so he sure. says something. I'll have to see. Get to my notes, uh, but but again, who who does know about them? Do they mean to destroy or help? And Amalia is even afraid of how the Galanthi are going to judge her, and that goes back to what I'd said. You know, Amalia's response is they'll they'll know your heart. But the other thing that that strikes me as i rewatch and rewatch this episode and, and and you know look at it it looks like the ship more or less crashed you know as more is exposed you know it, it it certainly looks like more than just simply a spherical orb it, it looks like there are appendages whether we call them wings or i don't know what you would call them but did you see any of that or am i just well, I mean, I, I'm just kind of assuming it was the, the the big spaceship that was flying in episode one, right? Right. <clears throat> so, I mean, that had all kinds of crazy stuff on it. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't, for me, it's really unclear. I mean, like I said, I'm assuming that's what it is, but right now it's just like kind of this blue orb and stuff are, is like falling off of it. Um, I think Haig compares it to like a like a a chrysalis right like a butterfly right so so that certainly is a suggestion that it's you know some kind of organic type thing though i'm just so confused i guess (laughs) um because i you know i i i just really feel like it's it's like an alien ship that is dispersing little alien consciousnesses but it, I don't know. I don't well, know. Well, see, the opening scene, 
you know, which kind of falls under the plan to drill to the Galanthi once we, you know, get into the episode. And we see the blue orb beginning to crack set against Amalia having sex with Dr. Cousins. And inside the orphanage, the, you know, the bustles punctuated with penance, seeming a bit bothered by hearing Amalia's dalliance. And, and of course, we talked about uh, Desiree. And, and on a rewatch, we realized that she's actually vetting Nimble rather than betting him. Well, um, she's doing both. Oh, she's doing both. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, remember, but, she said before that's how she got, that's how she gets guys to talk, right? She gets them into an, an, uh, an excited emotional state. Right. Now, we find out that Penance has x rayed the city a, a, as she's developing the plan about drilling to the Galanthian. And, and obviously, they want to keep. You know their drilling plan somewhat under wraps because I, I guess at one point Amalia says, "Well, what's this here? Uh, that's the army." And I forget again. I forget her exact response, but well, that's not good, is it? <laughs> so, so no. Now again, and, and I think and I can't remember whether it was Maureen or Fred that that bring up the whole idea of the X-ray, but I believe when, Maureen did. Okay, and when. Amalia refers to it as an x-ray and Penance says, no, it's a spectacular or whatever, a spectral ackle or whatever. Is it that she just doesn't know the term x-ray and the fact that Amalia calls it an x-ray just is, is another detail that, that leads us to say, okay, yeah, she's clearly from the future. She knows about x-rays and, and Penance hasn't even heard that term yet. Well, here's the thing. I think, again, uh, uh, this part I'm confused about whether it's Fred and Maureen mentioned that the X-ray was actually, I think Fred did actually, had said the, the X-ray had actually already been invented and that the guy would win the Nobel Prize for it, uh, like in 1901, I think. Here's the thing, because as as a fellow journalism teacher, you know, I mean, this is a time of, this is like the golden age of, of journalism, uh, in in the, especially of newspapers, and they would release multiple editions a day. So every little bit of news was definitely fodder for for journalists, as we see with Effie Boyle here. Um, so I feel like the common people would know about a new invention like the X-ray. Okay. So w- would or wouldn't? Would I believe they would? Okay. Um, e- even if they haven't actually seen an X-ray, maybe they well, maybe they would have seen... yeah read about the paper. Yeah, right, right. Um, you know, you've mentioned Lavinia and Haig in the course of the discussion, and I'm a little surprised that she instructs him to destroy it. Which I think we get the idea that even if she tells him to, he's not going to. And we talk about characters' end games, and I have no idea what his end game is. But she clearly thinks it's meant it means to destroy us. And I'm not sure if we're supposed to know why she thinks that. But, I have absolutely no idea why she thinks that. Yeah. So, so uh, you I'm know, not on saying the one, that we're not supposed to know. I'm just admitting that I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, again, I mean, I, I'm sure you've seen I've seen this episode three times. I'm sure you've seen it at least that many. And, and then, like you said, you, you start to go back and rewatch the other episodes because you think, like, oh, wait a minute, am I supposed to know that? No, nope, they didn't. 
didn't tell us that. So, but it does seem to be common knowledge that at least among our, you know, our little world here, that they possess some kind of power. It's just that nobody knows what it is. It does appear that the plan for Dr. Haig is to, you know, extract it enough that they can put it on a train and get it out of the city. Now, after it's out of the city, I, I don't know what they plan to do with it. I, I, I just find it hard to believe that you've got this alien creature, spaceship, whatever, and you're going to destroy it. So, I, I don't know. I mean, has H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds been written yet? I don't. Yeah, I guess it has been at this point. So, yeah, I think maybe so. they have read it. She She's pretty you know, like, well, I, I was about to say she's very confident in, in her kind of opinion, but she's not really. She's scared. Well, you know, you know why it is. You know, again, like you would think. Like I, I, I agree with you. Like most people, you would think would be curious, like and feel like let's find out what this is. Let's experiment. Um, kind of like Doctor Haig, I believe. I don't. I agree. I'm not sure what his his intentions are what his end game is but he certainly seems on some level scientifically curious about it well right and as amalia and penance and augie are talking about you know the plan as penance is you know giving a a test run of the prototype of the drill and augie asks what they hope to find and and the singular answer is hope which leads us back to Lavinia and why she sees it in a polar opposite manner. Conventional wisdom tells you that this has to be from a far more advanced civilization than ours. You know, maybe they want to help us. Why is it always that they're here to destroy us? So, well, you know, I mean, as, as avid consumers of science fiction, like if, fair amount of the time it is because they want to destroy us. well that is true but every now and then they want to help like et is in there every once in a while and you got to help the little guy out right you know and we see a lot of these discussions as the the drill is being worked on and as the plan is being uh perfected and one of the things that that penance brings up about malady and we were talking about this earlier she suggests that the Galanthi might be able to bring Sarah back. And, of course, Amalia says something like, you know, some things you just can't come back from. They're almost talking about two different things because mm -hmm. the crimes that Malady committed, of course, you must atone for those crimes. You must be held responsible. But that doesn't mean that the human being you once were can't be restored and again it's it's a terrible conflict but i'm not sure that you know i don't want to say that i don't think amalia understands what penance is trying to convey here because i think she does it's just that they're from they're from two different worlds literally so right and, and again she says the future of the world depends on what i'm doing and Penance's response, the future of the world depends on the present. And it, it just crystallizes the beautiful relationship these two have 
not only with each other, but with the story itself. Because as we've said, is this a situation where Amalia has come back to try to change whatever leads to this dark future? Or as some have suggested, is Amalia from another world? Maybe not the future, but another planet. I don't think so. I, I think it's definitely time travel and time travel within our <clears throat> our world. But right, and this isn't the the first time that she's mentioned how you know this will be the death of of, of this world. Right? She she had said that I believe the last one, maybe the episode before that. So I mean, she is at other points has made reference to you know that as this is some kind of turning point that leads to something bad happening yeah. uh what'd you think of the vote of confidence from you know, when amalia but, says okay you, you know now that you you've got your plan to yes. save her let's see yeah. where everybody stands and right I, that was that was i don't know like i mean it was a really cool scene so dr- dramatically speaking i thought it was amazing yeah, and it's no surprise that Dr. Cousins goes with Amalia. And I think it's more <laughs> right, than... You're going to go with... Yeah. Well, but I think it's more than just simply the bad. Yeah, I know. Right? I, I, I'm making lewd I, suggestions. I well, but, yeah. look, he's a guy, so... Um, sure, but I, you're, I, I agree. He he, 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 he honestly thinks that Amalia is doing the right thing. Exactly. But it doesn't turn into two opposing camps even though it does we're still on the same side we're just each fighting a different battle we respect what you're doing and we respect what you're doing were you surprised that augie goes with amalia well i mean obviously yeah you know um, and can penance get over that because we don't see the two of them after the fact i would certainly hope that's a scene we do get to see next week but we might not because it's just the halfway point the mid-season finale right so to speak right but yeah you, you definitely feel like i mean they're they're going to show us and i think maureen said this too she might have confirmed it for us that I mean, they're definitely going to show us what happened to the other group like in the next episode you know that would that would be that'd be cruel to to push that off for another episode, yeah. you know, yeah. and have like, oh, we're going to have the musical episode as episode six or something. Well, it is Whedon, which I love. I love the musical episodes of the Magicians, by the way. But I'm just saying, you know, yeah, Lucifer had one, and uh, it was pretty good. I, again, yeah. you still haven't seen Buffy, so you haven't seen the musical episode. Although I would tell you that's something you can see out of context. It's worth checking out if you if you get the chance. Right. But but anyway, look, with Augie, I mean, here we see someone make a decision based on what he thinks is right. Obviously, the you know again part of him we feel is at least a little bit romantically inclined towards Penance, so he might you know join her group just because well that's the girl I, I'm kind of digging, so I'm going to join her group. But he clearly honestly feels that Amalia is the one that's doing the right or going in the right direction. So he goes with her, despite the fact that 
this might ruin the chances with you know the person he really yeah, likes. And, and I think you really do have to look at the situation a lot more deeply, right or wrong, as I said earlier, that this could be any of them. Malady could be any of them, e- even though they wouldn't commit the crimes that she's committed. But since they are the touched and because the touched are being viewed as the other in, in this situation, you know, I, I think that's why so many of them do choose to go with penance. And then I love and I'm not sure the the the, the woman that's kind of the enforcer among uh, the, the, you know, that she yeah. imi- initially goes with Amalia and then she shows up with penance. True told me to take care of you, <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. and right there we know. The true Adair army is just, I don't know, it doesn't get any better than that. So, well, the Beggar King's got his kids making Malady hanging dolls, uh, you know, <laughs> but, but it, yeah, dude, again, this is like, you know, Nick Frost. I know like, I've said this over and over again. It's just so painful because he's not like, he's not a funny guy at all. You just want to, I just still waiting for him to break out of the Nick Frost and to be like, Hey, there's that goofy guy. I, uh, you goofy beggar King you, but no, he's like the most horrible character, you know? Uh, everything about him. I mean, obviously, we gain a little bit of sympathy because we know he's someone's brought up rough, but still, he's just a terrible person. He's not funny. He's not jovial. He's not any of the things we usually associate with Nick Frost. And to this, I say, Nick Frost, God bless you. Way to just completely pick a role that goes completely, uh, like, that has people like me who admire your previous work. You're just waiting for that previous work to break out, and you're just not doing it. And I, I love that because he could so easily have made like the Bear King, like goofy, silly guy, but he's not. He's just cold hearted, mean, nasty, brutal, straight edge all the way. Yeah. And ordinarily, you know, you talk about, and I, he's certainly not brutal in the same way, but, but Frank is, is certainly, uh, again, known for beating information out of his suspects, and maybe he's tempered a bit now that he's in a position of authority but that that conversation he has with hugo as they're really trying to come to terms with what's about to happen and frank says tomorrow we're going to kill a woman for the public's entertainment because that's what london's become which then kind of leads into what the beggar king's doing with the little malady hanging dolls and then of course you get to the execution square and we've got lemonade stands up and, and, you know, eels are, are being sold and uh, I'm not anxious to try eels. I, I will say that, but uh, you know, it, it just, apparently they were quite, yeah, the dish. I guess. Um, but someone, some group is rewriting the rules of reality. Masson tells the beggar King. And I love the fact that the beggar King tells him to go pound sand that, no, I don't want any part of your plan. I'm not going to be your little police force. So deal with it. And, and, and he says, look, all these things come along. I'll adapt. And mm-hmm. we know that that's Masson's biggest problem is that he doesn't want to adapt. He doesn't want electricity. He doesn't want a phone. He doesn't want motor cars. He likes yeah. where he is and he doesn't want any change. And, Though I, I like Maureen's comment that she thinks he might be a little yeah. jealous, and I, I I can roll with that. I like who who doesn't look at that ride and say, well, "Damn, that's pretty sweet well, you know, ride, he, man." He, the comment he makes about 
an uneducated woman is able to build in a couple of days what we're not able to do i don't know what he says in years or whatever kind of chastising the uh, i guess the inventors are at large that you know why haven't the men been able to do what she's able to do when they have all the resources and she's just cobbling together yeah he's a, a a man who sees had knows enough to see that the world is changing, but is unable to make that change. And, you know, it's, it's guys like Masson, honestly, that lead up to world war one, right? World war one is, is the apotheosis of all these rich white dudes in Europe who just thought things could always be the same. Like, yeah, if we, you know, we have this we have this system of alliances, right? That uh, no one will ever start a war because once you start it, you draw everyone else in. We'll have this terrible, horrible war, and yet look what happened. So you know, he his his time is is at an end. But it's of course a lot of people say, well, no, it's not because he's a rich white dude. So his time is still he's got loads of time. In fact, even you could plop him in to twenty twenty one. He'd still be a rich white guy and still be doing very well for himself, you know. But his world is changing, and and he is not going to change with it. And he wants the world to just stay the same, and obviously he's not going to stay the same. Not willingly, anyway. Look, I've been known to see things where they often don't exist. And and one of the things that's been really bothering me, not bothering me, but kind of like – intriguing me is the use of mirrors and glass and i'm not sure Mm -hmm. i'm really able to make any kind of a connection yet but the other thing is the the use of umbrellas and the gates are open the the crowd comes in and and frank has already stipulated that only 400 are going to be let in but we see penance with that umbrella and i'm thinking like Oh my God, it's like a nod to the conspiracy theory about the man with the umbrella at JFK's assassination mm-hmm. at Dealey Plaza. Yeah, which actually, I, I just finished the Umbrella Academy season two. My wife and I finally finished that up, and there's a little bit, there's, there's that, that enters in there as well. So that's funny how that all kind of, yeah, comes together this right. week. So whether that was an intentional nod or I'm just seeing things, because obviously she's got the umbrella because that's part of the plan, part of the distraction when it, it shoots up like a, a rocket. But the noose is put around Malady's neck. And of course, we know it's not Malady. Uh, it's the other girl. Well, I mean, we don't know it at that point. We don't right? know it yet. Yeah, and we do now. The chance of drop the bitch. And... Uh-huh. It so is. It, it's so just mean. really kind of blood curdling as well because on one level it just reinforces all those things you were just saying about Masson and his rich white dude little cadre of people running things that no we're not gonna let you okay even though she's a murderer even though she's a mass murderer we know that still and you might argue well okay in this case it's okay. I don't know. It, it still bothers me of quite a bit that. Sure. Yeah. And especially, I mean, we, we gain so much sympathy. I mean, before we know it's malady, 
It's not Mel. It, it, actually, by the way, you go back and watch the previous two episodes, and you realize we never see her face. Right. Once they've switched, right? right? They never show her face except for just little bits of it through her her hair and everything. Right. Um, so just that was just so well done. Like I mean, when the first time I saw that, it just threw me for a loop when. You realize that uh, that malady was Effie Boyle the whole time. I just, it took me so long to like just be like, wait, what did I just see? But but anyway, in that time that she's in jail, all those shots of her chained up like that. Well, you can't help but sympathize with her, right? Right. And we not that we forget, which obviously, as you said, I mean, she did some terrible, terrible things. Of course, the woman in that jail cell didn't do it, but malady did. But uh, you know, but you can't help but sympathize with her. So we we start to think, well, even though what she did is this punishment too horrible, even even for what she did, is this even justice, right? And I know you used to teach ninth grade. We used to have to. That was one of the essays we did every year, right? It's the kids had to determine whether revenge was was justice, right? So is is corporal, sorry, capital punishment is is that. Is that justice, or is it just a some attempt to get revenge? Right, and one of Masson's crew brings that up as they're talking about it, the fact that she is being chained and treated like an animal. And, and again, Masson and, and his followers are going to say, well, that's what she deserves. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But are the gates deliberately locked, preventing spectators from leaving? Yeah, because that's what uh, Frank Mundy said, just let in 400 people and then, and then close right. the gates. So then when that the guy that can make people believe whatever you know he, yes. he wants them to believe, so he's the one, he's got his guys digging up, I guess that's the, the power switch to the uh, electricity. So, so who's behind electrocuting everybody? Is this Malady's plan all along? So he, is he working with Malady? That's what Frank Mundy solidly thinks that. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, yeah, I think so. Right? He realized that's Malady's plan is to kill the people who, who have come to watch. Now, I, I, I think it, it's more than that, though. You know, I mean, obviously, I, I think Fred mentions that she wants to escape. And I think escape is part of it. But I, I, I think really just the chaos that she created, I think that's really what she was going for, right? That's what she wanted to accomplish is to to to, to have the city turn itself upside down. Well, to understand chaos, you have to see chaos, or yeah. Masson says something along those lines. Right. Um, but I guess I'm just trying to figure out what does that guy get out of helping Malady? I mean, did she pay him somehow? I I, I don't see how that benefits him at any point because all all that the public reaction is going to be towards the touch is even more negative than it's already been Uh, and the irony but they're not going to know they don't know they wouldn't know that malady to the public is dead well true but you wonder whether what truth is going to come out of this is frank just going to let everybody assume malady's been executed or is he going to have to acknowledge the fact that we executed the wrong woman and Malady's still out there? Because if he doesn't and she kills again, then what did you know and when did you know it? So 
true. He, he's got that to deal with. But the irony in all of this is as, as the people are trapped and they're trying to get out and they get to that brick wall and the, you know, the couple's got their baby and uh, Harriet uses her turn to turn the wall into glass and then they just trample right. her. Yep. Yep. There you go. Thanks for your efforts there, Harriet. And who pulls her out and saves her? Melody does. Melody. So yeah. it's like, darn it, woman. We're trying to get a handle on who you are and what you're all about. And you do I, I something no like handle. this. I, I have zero handle on Melody at all. Which that, I, I love that. I, I think that's awesome because I have absolutely zero clue what she's up to why she's trying to accomplish what she's trying to accomplish outside of like, I feel like she's a lot like the Joker in uh, the dark Knight, Batman, the dark Knight. She, you know, it's the, the famous line that uh, Michael Caine says, you know, some people just like to watch the world burn. And I feel like that she, yes, that's what she is. She wants to see the world burn. She loves to create chaos and disorder. Now, is that what I think is her, all, all what her character is about? Absolutely not. She's definitely clever enough, and as we saw, to pull off this whole disguise, you know, you have to have your faculties about you. So it's not that she's crazy. That may be part of it, but she's able to at least appear sane. So what is she actually trying to accomplish? I, I, you know, I have absolutely no idea. Well, and she's but, writing articles that are published in the paper. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, we still don't know what her turn is, really. Oh, they, they they say in this one that it, when you when you hurt her, like she feels pain, she gets like power from yeah, pain. Yeah, I, I, I'm still not convinced. I, I, yeah, you're right. They do say that, but uh, well, you know, the only other scene I want to bring up, and then you know, whatever you've got that you want to bring in, um, that scene where Penance is getting dressed. You know, she's bathing, and 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 again, I you know, I understand about. 1899 and running hot water and all that but we always see her just kind of like you know dabbing under her arms and you know right. giving a quick smell it's like okay good enough puts her shirt on you know um and then she spots that bird outside the window and we know darn well what she's thinking and yeah that he's actually there and surprises her is just classic <laughs> and and then you know she's like you know you take a peek at what only a husband should see no i wouldn't oh what i'm yeah, I don't look. Yeah, good. Oh, you don't like me? You don't think I'm pretty? Yeah, no, it's like, oh, geez. Like, so when, when, yeah, and then of course, Amali comes in. She's like, am I interrupting? He's like, yes, please. <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> so, uh, that, those, those two are really cute together, obviously. It's supposed to be that, like, kind of mute, cute kind of thing. Like, oh, aren't they so cute together and everything? Um, but, but then of course, it takes a little darker, not darker turn, I would say, but when he teams, he goes with Amalia instead, like, yeah, like you you asked before, like what is that, what is that going to do to this this uh, this little relationship they got going? Yeah. So, uh, all right, what else uh, you want to bring up? We haven't talked about. Okay, well, we have our Italian girl. I, I I'm sure we've gotten her name by this point. I keep forgetting it, uh, but we see her in the beginning, and apparently, despite being operated on, she's still able to make things float. And then she's looking up at the the blue thing later. So you know, again, she's she's still low key in the background of of all of these you know i don't know if i've ever seen anything on a tv where a, a, a man or even anyone fingers a woman and then she 
you know, takes his hand and sucks on the fingers that were until recently inside of her. So that, and again, that's like part of this character of, of Amalia. When I, like, of course, the first time I saw it, I wasn't 100% sure what was going on. And then like after a couple of times, I'm like, oh, that's what's going on. And then like, oh, 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 is she doing, really? Is she doing that? Is that what we're doing now, Amalia? Okay. Um, you know, we, we've seen some aspects of her character where she is just, she's like a, a, this wild woman, like, you know, like in the bar scene and everything, um, stage diving, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff that she's just like, a, a, I would say just to show her impulsivity, like, you know, I mean, the, 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 the sexual side of her, she admitted to Mary before, I believe it was Mary, that, that there's, you know, she sleeps with people she shouldn't and everything. And so, I don't know, I guess we, we just have an example here of, of a woman who, who does what she wants and, and, and will not be, you know, brought under the, the uh, control of, of any man so much that she almost, like, removes the control. Like, okay, you can do that. That's nice what you're doing to me. But here, let me turn around and show you how I'm in control here or something. So... I don't know. That was just uh, to me. I, I know I'm making a lot of it. I just it's because I have a perverted mind, but uh, I just thought that that was a scene that obviously very, very intense sexually, but but also I thought was kind of um, character revealing. You know, yes, that's the word sure. I'm looking for. So uh, with Hugo, I think Maureen mentions like what does Amalia slash Effie Boyle whisper to Hugo? And even at the end of this, I don't know, because he shows up at the execution, but he doesn't, like, he doesn't really do anything. Have any, yeah, he doesn't do anything, right? He, he, he goes down into the, you know, the, he, he climbs over the balcony because he doesn't want to hang out the blue bloods, so he says. But then once, you know, chaos erupts, he climbs right back up there. Right, and of course, is even even Masson, despite how much we know he he loathes uh, Hugo, or he must, he he recognizes him as another member of the aristocracy and allows him up on the balcony. But the other guy trying to get up there, the punter, gets a gun in the face. True, I think that that might be it. Okay. All right, well, um, let's get to the listener feedback. And Maureen checked in again with some email. And I just want to touch on a few of the things she brought up. And, and one of the most compelling and fascinating questions that, that Maureen brings up, okay, we know about the x-rays and the x-rays were invented and all of that. Okay, fine. But how did Penance manage to take an aerial x-ray of London? Right. That, that's a great question. Has she already invented a drone? Yeah, I mean, I, I like that one. I, I, yeah, because I didn't even think about that. You know, I'm so like, I'm so like a moron. You know, but I'm like, oh yeah, how how did she get that picture of London? Now, I suppose she could have used a balloon of some a sort, balloon, but maybe, yeah. still, she had to you know, rig a camera, uh, whatever. I mean, we certainly know Penance is capable of doing it, but. Still, it's something that's easy to miss. And, you know, again, had Maureen not brought it up, I still would have missed it. I, I totally, right, exactly. I, I, I completely missed it. But that's a great point. Now, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of the discussion, we were talking about themes. 
and I mentioned you know some of the ones she brought up, and she talks about that that scene where we see the nooses outside of the orphanage, and she says, "I realize the theme of this episode is vulnerability." And she brings up the Lavinia and Dr. Haig discussion, and then, of course, the Masson and the Beggar King. And the fact that you look at the orphanage now without Lucy and her ability to, you know, to really, I mean, to do things with her hands that would come in handy, no pun intended at this point, you know, there, there's just so much, again, as Maureen points out, fear of failure without anybody really saying it. It's like they all know the, you know, immense task that is in front of them. And, you know, drilling down to the Galanthian. Now, we could argue that Amalia probably has some idea of what they're going to find once they get down there, even though she hasn't told anybody yet. Right. And, and for her, all of her brilliance, I don't think it's anything that Penance can imagine yet at this point. I mean, maybe once she's confronted with it, okay, fine. She'll deal with it at that point, but 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 still, what is she? She brings up about Malady's game plan, and she says, "I think she had to die so she could get to Doctor Haig under the radar." And again, Doctor Haig is one of those characters that at first we see him as this Doctor Mengele kind of doctor, just experimenting for the sake of cruelty and experimentation but but the more we see of him he's still got that aspect of him but you know there's something else going on here and maybe it's as he uncovers more of the blue orb you know his his things change what what he wants to do but I don't know. Yeah, I, like I said I mean like I really I I can't even speculate at this point as to what you know what what malady's game plan is um at all other than like i said the the idea of just wanting to create chaos and and madness as uh, wherever she can but i feel like it's it's definitely more than that and i just i i can't imagine what what that would be um but you know so again it's on the table is she trying to get at uh dr haig you know okay i I could roll with that. Yeah. yeah, but so we'll see. Now, the the last thing I want to bring up that Maureen points out, she asked, do we think Penance ever uttered the F word prior <laughs> to saying the P word prototype? <laughs> yeah. My guess is no. I, I, I think she probably learned that from Amalia and, I, and I'm going to stick <laughs> with that line of yeah. line of thinking. So uh, uh, any, anything else you want to bring up about Maureen's feedback? I don't know. I mean, I guess that how she had said, you know, just like kind of the whole Effie Boyle and that the same actress playing her that plays Malady and, and just how, you know, on rewatch, just like how on earth did I miss that? But, you know, again, it's just such a, a masterful job of, of costuming and makeup there that um, that, that was awesome. So, okay. Um, so, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's hear Fred's feedback and we'll be right back. Hello Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Nevers, Season 1, Episode 5. 
Hashtag Wayne was right. Dr. Cousins and Amalia do have a romantic relationship. Or is it just sex? Friends with benefits? I really had expected it was a red herring and it was something else. Pennant's reaction was a little confusing because first we see the sex scene between Dr. Cousins and Amalia and then we shortly see Pennant's hearing mourning and then we see her walking down the stairs and we see Nimble and Desiree come out of their room and it's also clear what they did. So what did Penance hear? Did she hear Amalia and Horatio? Or did she hear Desiree and Nimble? Or did she hear Amalia and Horatio? But then she saw Desiree and Nimble come out of their rooms and she is really thinking, okay, this is a house full of sex. So that she registers both. I really wonder what she is thinking about those things. And I wonder if she knows with whom Amalia actually is in her room. But I think they are living so close together, she probably knows. The next thing is the x-ray picture of the city of London, Penance made, and Amalia saying, oh, you made an x-ray. And I looked it up. Actually, the publication of Röntgen is from 1895, so that could be possible. And he gets the Nobel Prize for it in 1901. But I really doubt if a common woman like Amalia knows already what is happening in science. Um, So this could be another indication that Amalia is indeed from the future, as some people suggested. So this is a thing that the makers didn't pay attention to, or it is an indication that Amalia is from the future. Same is true as that she called the brightener an amplifier. We see more and more which role Lord Messon plays and which power he has. Because one, I'm quite amazed that in the discussion with the gentleman that Prince Albert, so the cousin of the king, is less powerful it seems. Also the general asks Lord Messon whether they should kill the beggar king and he says not yet. So he is really having a lot of power. And is that because of his companies, trading arms, etc.? Is he just very, very rich? And it proves he has connections to the underworld, to the Beggar King, and indeed, Odium was ordered to kill Amalia by Lord Messon, paying the Beggar King. Who ordered the killing of Mary is still not completely clear to me, though. I think the Hugo Swan story shifted from a secondary story to a third or fourth grade story. Amazing was also that Agui joined the Touched, even more so that he joined Amalia and not Penance. Bit annoying that we don't know what happened to the group of Amalia, but we will probably get that story in the next episode. I just knew Melody would escape, but not in this way, so that was a very nice turn. Probably I missed something. I actually didn't get the whole story with the Galanti, why they want to reach them or connect to them, how they actually know they exist. Or does it have something to do with the unraveling of Mary's song and why Amalia cried very much, was very touched. 
<laughs> in another way touched by the text. I didn't see a follow-up on that, or is that the exact connection to this Galantis thing? Partly it becomes more and more a police procedural, which is nice, and Frank Mundy is unraveling stuff. Discovering that the killed woman in the subways is actually the reporter. Will Melody hide from now on? Well, she's taking off her wig and other disguises just mid in the middle of the street, so I very much doubt that. On the other hand, she had one of her followers hang herself or being hanged to give the public the idea and the police that she's gone. So how public will her appearances be? Or will she reconnect to the other touched? I think it was good that Penance stood up to Amalia and went her own way. On the other hand, it felt a little bit, and that's actually the first negative point in the series, a little bit artificial. So I will give this episode an A-. And I didn't give the previous one a grade, and that's also an A-. And I recorded this before I have listened to your podcast about episode 4. So that is why there was no coming back to last week's podcast. But now I'm allowed to watch episode 6, having my episode 5 feedback done. Okay, that was all for now. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. You know, he brings up uh, certainly something I was wondering about what penance hears, i.e. the sex in the house, and what must she be thinking at that point? I'm again, and I I bring it up in terms of the fact that you know she's got this connection with Augie, and you know she has mentioned that I don't have much experience with men, and is it that or is it thinking like, what the hell are you people doing? We're about to embark on the biggest uh, project mankind may have ever done, and you're in the bedroom doing that. No. So, yeah. so it's just funny because we just don't know what she's thinking, but but we know that she is aware of it, and and yeah, I'm appreciate. Again, she does mention. I, I can't remember exactly what she said, but she expresses her 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 displeasure, you know, with with, with everything, and that that like everything is, but yeah, you know, the, the basically the, the things are are, are not. She, she doesn't. En- she's not enjoying what what's going on. You know, and, and I think, uh, especially as a person who who is you know a uh, probably a pretty religious Irish Catholic girl, who all this mucking about and 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 fooling around is is not to her approval. Not that she's approved or anything, but you know, especially she, I'm sure she'd be extremely disapproving of you know Doctor Cousins, the married man, uh, fooling around with Amalia. But like I said, on the other hand, they're both. Adults and you know, especially Amalia is you know someone who who does what what she wants. Yeah. Um, she you know, and someone who's not going to hold to conventional morality or anything like that. So, and, and we've only heard little snippets about Amalia's past as a soldier and you know having fought in wars and battles and all of that. So, her behavior may be in response to that that. You know, I've seen men and women die, and you, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live life to the fullest. And you know, we do know 
that Masson ordered Mary's killing, right? We get verification in, in this Yeah, episode. they totally verify right. that. Yep. He admits to even contracting uh, crews to, to carry it out. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, well, and then we, you know, we find out later that, um, yeah, he, that he was the one, like, the Beggar King didn't even know about, oh, what's the, the big guy's name? Um, Odium. Odium. Odium, yeah. So the Beggar King had no... No, no part of that. Like that was totally mass and engineered that himself. Right, went behind Baker King's back apparently. Yeah. So, anyway, all right, um, Fred, thank you, Maureen, thank you. Oh, I just found it. Oh. Pennant says people are doing what they oughtn't. So, like in reference to, I'm pretty sure speaking about you know, yeah. Amalia. So, so all right. What grade are you going to go with? A minus. Yeah, I see no reason why not to give this one an A. Okay. I liked it. I know, liked that a lot. It was really good. I mean, I try to find something to take, you, you know, away, but I can't. Yeah, well, especially with just you know, just on the strength of that, just completely. How often am I completely surprised by something that happens in the television show? I, I don't think that often. And Malady as Effie Boyle. Holy crap. Did not see that coming even a little bit. Nope. So, A, for sure. Just for that. Just for the strength of that. Oh, one more thing about Masson. He is not only dealing arms, uh, you know, but he's also dealing drugs. Because when he's talking to the Beggar King, he says, talking about how Annie's out there burning up our warehouse. Or something. He uses the word R. So, like, he's in on the opium trade, too. Okay. So, this guy... Is, you know, oh. like f him. <laughs> Basically, I hate Lord Masson even more now. All right, and didn't think that was possible. So, right, but but there you go. So. Everything is possible. All right. Well, listen, we've got the part one finale coming up next week, and uh, dude, I'm I'm pumped. I really am. I'm, I, you know, ordinarily I try to edit this whole podcast before i watch the next episode but i don't think i'm going to be able to do it this time so right but we will leave it there that will do it for this episode of sci-fi tv rewatch thank you for joining us love to hear what you think about the nevers anything in your genre tv world join the facebook group if you haven't shoot us an email sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com we'll be back next week to talk about the part one finale of the nevers but until then you know, Dave, I send you emails, I send you text messages, I send you Facebook messages, but time and time again, you ignore my reports on the menace of electricity.